Would you turn with me, please, to the 46th Psalm, Psalm 46, which is another of uh, these great uh, folk songs of faith that came out of the nation of Israel, Psalm 46. This is a psalm that Old Testament scholars uh, designate as a confidence psalm. It's designed to uh, build up our sense of confidence in God. Uh, It's odd when you think of it what people are inclined to be confident in, what they put their trust in. Uh, I have a favorite uh, folk singer. His name is T-Bone Barnett. Uh, He's not too well known up here yet, but... uh, (laughs) One of these days you're going to hear about T-Bone and his, uh, he has a penchant for uh, poking fun at all of the humbug and, and the pretensions that we have. He has a, a song entitled, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Now you have to understand, this is all tongue-in-cheek. T-Bone is a Christian, he knows better, but he's just poking a little fun at us. A kiss on the cheek may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but it won't pay the rent on your humble flat or your automat. Men grow cold as women grow old. We all lose our charm in the end, but square cut or pear shape, those rocks don't lose their shape. (laughs) Diamonds are a girl's best friend. There's got to be a better source of uh, confidence than that, and I believe it's given to us here in Psalm 46. Uh, This song, like the the psalm that we looked at last week, has three stanzas. The uh, first is a, a great expression of confidence. God is our refuge and our strength. He simply affirms the fact that God is his shelter. That's uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Verses uh, 4 through 7 are an explanation of that confidence. Uh, The psalmist gives us the source from which his confidence in God springs. He is a stream that makes uh, glad the city of God. And he is a sanctuary to which we can run. And then the third uh, stanza from verses 8 on to the end of of the psalm is a vindication of that confidence. He invites us to see what God can do on our behalf. Now, I want you to use uh, your imagination, if you will, try to picture an ancient walled city, because that's the metaphor on which this uh, psalm is based. Now, don't think of uh, a city with freestanding walls. That's the way these old cities are usually pictured in our mind. Think of something like uh, Lucky Peak Dam. That's what the walls of a city looked like. They were something like 60 feet across at the base, earth-filled stone and rock structures with a sloping front, which they plastered to keep people from climbing it and to prevent them from getting their war machines and battering rams up to the base of the, of the wall. So think of a city like that, encircled by an earthen siege work like this. And uh, outside the city uh, is the enemy. The city is being besieged. Now, if we were filming this psalm, we would begin with a helicopter bringing the camera in from above, and you would see the city, and you would see the army surrounding the city, and it looks like a hopeless situation. That's stanza one. Then in stanza two, the uh, camera would be taken into the interior of the city, and it would pan over 
uh, various features of the city and focus on the most significant elements of the city, the great river that characterizes the city, and right at the center of, of the city, a sanctuary. And then the camera would take us up to the walls of the city, and we would see the enemy in, in flight. Now, you'll notice that the stanza seems a little bit, un, or the, the psalm seems a little bit unbalanced. Uh, the first stanza has three verses. The second and third stanzas have four verses. Verse 7 and 11 are a refrain. Uh, as verse 7 puts it, uh, if I can read it here. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's verse 7 and verse 11. And that refrain, refrain is omitted after verse 3. But it belongs there. Most people agree that for some reason or other it was dropped out of the psalm very early. But the refrain belongs after verse 3. So what you have is a stanza affirming confidence in God, ending with a refrain uh, that uh, uh, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And then you have the second stanza concluding with that same refrain. And the third stanza, which includes with uh, this promise, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now let's look at the first, uh, first stanza. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. That verse sets the tone and the tempo for the rest of the, uh, of the psalm. God is the source of strength in the city. The city represents the people of God, gathered around God, looking to him as their source of shelter. And he's said to be an ever-present help in trouble. Now, the word that's translated trouble here means pressure or stress. These are people that are stressed out, as you would be under, under siege. Even in situations like that, where you're stretched to the outer limits, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and our strength. I read last week that someone had uh, developed a stress index, and uh, certain numbers are assigned for... Uh, various uh, types of stress. If you lose a spouse through death, uh, you're given 100 points. A divorce, uh, in a divorce, you accrue 75 points. Even Christmas is considered to give you 12 points of stress. And when you've reached 200 stress points in a year, you're stressed out. You can't uh, handle any more, they say. Some of you probably reached uh, that point this morning just trying to get the kids off to, to church. You got all of your 200 points in one, uh, one morning. But it doesn't make any difference regardless of how stressed you are, the psalmist says. God is an ever-present help. Now the phrase ever-present is one of those untranslatable treasures in the Old Testament. It's almost difficult to, to translate that phrase into English in a way that makes any sense. Perhaps the easiest way to translate it, or the one that, that is most in keeping with the text, is simply to say, he's easy to find. The root for present, uh, ever present, the root of that word means to find or to be found. It's in the passive voice. He is easily found is the idea. God is not playing hard to get. He's not hiding from us. He's easy to find. Now the psalmist says, no matter what your pressure is this morning, God is your shelter. God is your refuge. God is your strength. 
and he's easy to find. Therefore, the psalmist says, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, this is, uh, this is oriental hyperbole. Uh, the ancient uh, Easterners like to describe things in grandiose terms. They used exaggeration for emphasis. That's what this is. We're, we Westerners are so prosaic. We tend to use big words. They use uh, big pictures. When you men come home from a hard day at the office and your wife says, uh, well, dear, how how'd it go today? You say, oh, it, was, it was catastrophic out there. It was terrible. The world is falling apart, you say. Well, if you were an ancient Easterner and, and you came home and your, your wife said, How was it out there today, dear? You would say, Ay vey! The sun is no longer shining. The stars have fallen out of the sky. The mountains have slipped into the ocean. That's what you would say. You, uh, I, that's the way they are. Very expressive. Now that's what you have in this song, see? When the world is falling apart, when your world is coming unglued, when everything is being blown apart in your life, when the world is going to hell in a handbasket, as they say, even then, we should not fear. God is our refuge and our strength. Whether the economy turns down or not, whether your wife turns you out, what, whatever happens, doesn't matter. God is our strength in our hiding place. Therefore, he says, even when your world is coming apart, we don't need to fear. Now that sets the tone for the, uh, for the rest of the psalm. That's the city in which we dwell. We're clustered, gathered around God. And he's easy to find. He's there to help. Now the uh, camera moves into the interior of the city to show us some of the, uh, the important features, much as these college promos... Uh, on bowl games, when they show you the uh, they show you the student union, and then they they pan over the uh, science buildings, and then they show you a fountain in the center of uh, the plaza. That's what uh, that's what the psalmist is doing. There is a river. Uh, literally, it just says a river with exclamation points. That's the dominant feature of the, of the city. As you look down upon it, that's the thing that immediately catches your eye. A river, he says, whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, cities don't uh, get happy. It's people, of course, who do. city is used by metonymy for people. But here is a, here is a source of water, a vast water system with the channels and streams in all directions that, that, makes, that makes the people of, of the city happy. There's a stream, he says, that makes the, the city of God glad. And a holy place. Those are the two elements that he picks up immediately. A stream and a holy place from which the, the stream originates where the most high dwells. Uh, now, here in Idaho, streams mean a lot of things to uh, different people. It means fishing or rafting or swimming or walking along the green belt or irrigation water or pollution or all sorts of things. But uh, for, for the ancient man or woman, a, a stream 
changed meant life itself. And particularly if you were under siege, because one of the first things that a besieging army would do would be to, to stop, your, stop up your springs, your water sources. That's how they would drive people out of the cities. You could live a long time without food, but you can't live very many days without water. So uh, these people would go to a great deal of trouble to bring water into the city. Uh, there's a story told in the Old Testament of King Hezekiah, who back in the 18th century prepared for a siege by the Assyrians. I'm going to talk more about that later. But uh, Hezekiah had his stonemasons drive a shaft underneath the city of Jerusalem from the spring Gihon, which is on the east side, all the way through to the Pool of Siloam on the west side. It's quite a remarkable engineering feat. They started from opposite ends of the tunnel and actually met underneath the city. They didn't have the sophisticated equipment that we have today, but they were able to do it. And in fact, they were so impressed with their feet that they inscribed a, uh, they left an inscription honoring themselves for having accomplished that. But they, they, brought, they brought water from the spring outside the walls into the interior of the city because it was, it was necessary in time of siege. Now, that's what the psalmist is talking about here. It's hard for us to understand that unless we lived in, in that era, unless we'd ever been under siege. But here is a vast river with a system of channels and, and uh, uh, tributaries that make the, the city of, of God glad. Water is often used as a symbol in the Old Testament for God himself. In the book of Ezekiel, there is a description of a man measuring the water that flows out from the temple, from the heart of God. And uh, he, he wades out a ways and it's up to his knees and the prophets says go a little further, or the interpreting angels says go a little further and it's up to his hips and finally he's clear over his head. The idea being that there is an abundant source of water available to us. During the time of, or shortly before the time of King Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah appeared uh, before Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, who had been making alliances with other countries and foregoing faith in God. He was, he was unwilling to trust God. He was putting more trust in his political savvy, his ability to put together the right combinations of armies and nations. And, and Isaiah said, Ahaz, you've forsaken the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. In other words, you've given up that quiet source of strength that God is to you. It's a beautiful picture of, of what God is to us. He is, he's the one who slacks our thirst, you see. Uh, you know the story that John tells about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus sent the disciples into Samaria to buy hamburgers, and he stayed behind sitting by the well, and this, this dear lady turned up all by herself. I'm sure she looked very hard, dressed a bit flashily, flashy. And uh, he, he asked her a question or two, drew her out. And uh, she said, what, why are you talking to me? Jewish men don't talk to Samaritans and they don't talk to women. And uh, I, I, I'm sure our Lord said with a chuckle in his eye, or with a twinkle in his eye, uh, I guess you could chuckle with your eyes. <laughs> uh, he said, if you just knew who I was, I, you'd ask me for water. And she said, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? You don't have anything to draw with. 
And uh, she said, if you just ask of me, I'll give you living water. It'll be a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's what she wanted. It's what she longed for us. Poor woman had been through five husbands. Perhaps they'd all tossed her out of the house or maybe she'd thrown them out. And she finally gave up on marriage and was living with, with some fella, unmarried, not married to him. Jesus said, I know what you're looking for. You, you'll never find it in men. You won't find it anywhere. What you're looking for is God himself. He's that source of life. He's that great river that flows through the city of God that takes care of all of our thirsts. Now, that's the picture that he wants us to see here. There, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I, I almost hesitate to even explain these metaphors because you explain them away. It's just better to think about them and, and ponder them. And there's a holy place where the Most High dwells. That's the place from which the river uh, uh, originates. It flows out of the sanctuary, the heart of God. God will help her, that is the city, at break of day. I should read uh, the, the, word, the line that precedes it. God is within her. She will not fall. That is, the city will not fall. The mountains may fall into the heart of the sea. It's the same word that's used in verse, th- uh, verse 2. But the city will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Break of day was when the assaults began. They couldn't do much at night. They had inadequate light sources, so they would wait until the crack of dawn, and then they would begin the assault. That's, that's when the heat would come. And uh, that's usually when it starts for us. I find that the enemy doesn't wait until noon or the middle of the afternoon to attack. Very often it's the first rattle out of the box, the first child you meet, the first mate you meet, the first problem you encounter may be very early in the morning. But uh, the psalmist says, God will help at the break of day, the very beginning of the assault. He's uh, easy to find. Nations are in uproar. Same, the same word that's used for the waters roaring in verse 3. The nations roar. Kingdoms fall as the mountains might fall into the sea. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty, or if you have an NASB, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge or our fortress. Uh, the God of hosts is the God of the masses. The word hosts is used uh, for armies and large groups of people and clusters of stars and, and all of the angels. It's the multitudes. He's the Lord of the masses, the, the multitudes. Uh, the, some of the older versions, King James Version put it, the Lord of Sabbath. Uh, Lord Sabaoth. That's where, by the way, that's where uh, Martin Luther got that phrase in his great hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. He took that from Psalm 46. He's, the, he's Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of the masses. But he's also the Lord of uh, individuals, the God of Jacob. And what an individual he was. What a rascal. Scheming and conniving and conning his way through life, and yet God loved him. He loved the likes of Jacob, and he loves the likes of us. The Lord of the masses is with us and the God of the individual is our fortress. He's our shelter. He's our help. He's easy to find. And then finally, in uh, verses 8 through the end of the psalm, he invites us to come up to the walls and, and see 
his judgment on our enemies. Here he vindicates that confidence that we have in him. Expresses it, explains it, vindicates it. Come and see the works of the Lord. See what the Lord can do. Come stand on the parapets of the uh, of the fortress. Come look out of the tower from a position of, of safety and see what God will do with your assailants. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Shields were made out of uh, leather stretched over a wooden frame so they were inflammable. He burns them up. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. All the implements of war. He not only brings war to an end, he makes it impossible to continue to fight. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the masses is with us. The God of Jacob, the God of the individual is our fortress. When we come to the point where we think we cannot bear any more, there is a place to escape. You can run to the heart of God and he shelters you there. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not permit you to be tempted or tested or stressed beyond the point of endurance, but will with the temptation, the test, the stress, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He is the way of escape. We run into the walled city and we find a place of safety and peace and tranquility there. Now, there is a very interesting historical illustration of this uh, psalm. I, I believe that this psalm was written during the time of Hezekiah. It's attributed to the sons of Korah. They were one of the singing groups in the temple. It's undated. We have no idea when it was written. But there are a lot of parallels between this psalm and Isaiah 33 and the period uh, of the Assyrian conquest of Palestine. And I think it was written during the time of, of Hezekiah. Let me tell you the story, background. Uh, in 701 B.C., Sennacherib, who was the Assyrian emperor, went on the, the march. He moved to the Mediterranean. If you know anything about the Assyrians, you know that they were a, a cruel, uh, rapacious, uh, violent people. Wherever they went, they destroyed and burned and pillaged and raped and deported. And uh, they, were, they were feared by the people of that time. They were unstoppable. Sennacherib went all the way to the Mediterranean. But for some reason, he bypassed the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Isaiah, in commenting on this period, says that Jerusalem looked like a watchman's hut in the middle of a cucumber field. A cucumber field, uh, I haven't seen one, but I can imagine what they look like. The vines must grow very flat on the ground. And out of the middle of this uh, flat terrain was a, it would be a little hut, looked like a little outhouse that the watchman uh, watched for marauding uh, thieves and foxes, and that sort of thing. So that's what Jerusalem looked like. All the little cities of, of Judah had been decimated and flattened, the people deported. Hezekiah, in his annals, his history of this period, or pardon me, not Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, says, I shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. Uh, the commander-in-chief of Sennacherib's army, as they were besieging Jerusalem, 
sent him a letter. In the letter, he said, if you have 2,000 men, I'll give you horses to put them on. Hezekiah didn't have 2,000 fighting men in the city. He'd cut off all of his alliances with the other nations. There was no one to help him. Everyone was afraid of the Assyrians. Assyria was the dominant power in the Middle East. There was no one to turn to. The Rabshakeh says, you give me 2,000 men, I'll give you 2,000 chariots. In other words, I, I, could, I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back. That's what he's saying. I'll give you a little bit of advantage. Hezekiah couldn't produce 2,000 fighting men. He was hopeless. So he, he, he takes the letter up to his room, and he lays it out on the bed. And he says, Lord, you can read. You see the letter? You see what they're saying about you? Your name is at stake. Isaiah said that we're not to trust these foreign alliances. We're to trust you. And your name is... What are you going to do about that? He says. The prophet comes in. He says, Hezekiah, there will not be one arrow that will fly into the city. And as far as we know, there were close to a quarter of a million troops massed outside the city of, of Jerusalem. Well over 200,000. The chances that some soldier would just let fly an arrow at random, you know, are, are great. Provinces, Hezekiah, not one arrow will fly into the city. Not one. Hezekiah went to sleep. He got up the next morning. He looked over the walls. And the grounds around the city were strewn with corpses. 186,000 bodies. A plague had swept, some kind of sickness swept through the Assyrian army and decimated it. And they went home. We know that not only from scripture, but from contemporary secular histories as well. Later, Sennacherib was assassinated by his own sons, and that was the end of the Assyrian threat. They never threatened Israel again. That's a beautiful illustration of what this psalm is talking about. And I think the people inside the city were looking at this psalm and reading it and pondering it and wondering if God could really vindicate himself and the confidence that they placed in him. He did. He did it historically. He can do it for you. He says to you what he said to Hezekiah. Be still. Verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. The word for be still is a word that's used in uh, some of the old literature for a bow, an unstrung bow. When the, when the string hangs loose, they use this word. Relax, he's saying. Hang loose. Be still. Count on me. Now that's what he says to us. Relax. Don't be uptight. I'm easy to find. He's not playing hard to get. He's easy to find. He is our source of strength. Don't trust in anything else, the psalm says. Don't count on anybody else. Trust in God. He's a very present help in time of trouble when the heat is on, when you're stressed to the point of endurance. Be quiet, he says. Be still. Relax. Count on me. I am the Lord Almighty, the God of hosts. I am the God of Jacob, who will be your 
fortress. And out of that comes a sense of tranquility and, and, and peace and, and joy. As the hymn writer put it, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God. A place where we, our Savior, meet near to the heart of God. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God. A place where all is joy and peace near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. If you draw near to him this morning, he'll draw near to you. Let's stand and sing just as a way of sealing this uh, truth to our own hearts. This hymn, it's hymn number 410, Near to the Heart of God. the circumstances out of which this uh, hymn was written. Cleland McAfee is the uh, author of both the words and the music. He was a professor at Union Seminary back in the 1800s, back when that institution was still true to the scriptures and and taught them. And uh, Dr. McAfee wrote this uh, hymn in response to the death of his two nephews who died within the a few days of, of each other, and they were as close to him as his own children. They were the children of his, of his brother. And uh, he wrote this hymn. There is a place of full release near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet near to the heart of God. Let's, uh, let's sing together the last, word, the last verse. There is a place of 
Father, we knew all this is true because you've told us so. And you're the God who cannot lie. Thank you for sending your Son from your own heart to draw us near to you. We thank you that there is that place of quiet rest. We, uh, we long for it, Lord. May we choose it today. Help us to draw near to you and find in you the shelter and the strength that we need. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.